Hello and thank you for the privilege of your company today on Search for Truth. This week our Bible teacher Brian brings us part four in our series about helping new Christians grow spiritually. And this week uh, Brian's going to look at learning to talk with God. Thanks. As well as the scripture experience, which we thought about previously, we also need the sanctuary experience. In other words, new and not-so-new Christians need to experience God's presence through prayer. In praying, it's helpful to learn from a child's basic words, sorry, thanks and please. For example, in the Psalms of the Bible, which are prayers after all, the four key responses that come up again and again are wow, sorry, thanks and help. Praying like that is the way God's chosen to bring his blessings to his children. It also emphasises the personal relationship we have with God. More than that, in the act of praying, we acknowledge that God is sovereign. That means we are to pray according to his will and in line with his values. We are to pray with a clear conscience and a clean heart in conformity with God's character and consistently with his revealed purposes. These are among the conditions for answered prayer and living in the joy of it. In that way, we claim in prayer those things which are his promises to us. But how do we go about it? Where can we get to know God's will? And where can we get to know what his values are? The Bible, of course. So the more we can relate our prayer requests to what the scriptures reveal, the better. We learn to turn biblical sentences into one-line prayers. Above all, we must always rely on the Holy Spirit's guidance. That is, we're not only praying in the Word, but we're praying in the Spirit. Many Christians use the expression, having their quiet time, to mean the time they set aside each day for stilling their souls in the presence of God. When we prepare to enjoy fellowship with our Maker, it's good to shut ourselves off from 101 everyday things that clutter our lives and minds. There's no better advice than the Lord's when he counselled us to have a particular place to retire to where we can be free from interruptions and where we can disentangle ourselves from our daily duties and from the worries and pressures that come with life. Two things which belong together are praying and watching. And watching includes ring-fencing our time commitment and looking out for answers. I don't know whether your habit is to pray out loud or whether you pray silently during your personal prayers at home. The Bible records the Lord's instruction as being, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, etc. It's often helpful to pray audibly, even in private, to say the prayer rather than just to think it. I certainly find it's an aid to concentration when we actually put it into spoken words. It helps to guard against wandering thoughts, or skating too glibly over a range of different issues without any real depth of thought. This habit is even a help when it comes to breaking the sound barrier of audible prayer with others. It was the Lord Jesus himself who taught us in Matthew chapter 6, When you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. But that doesn't always mean that praying comes naturally, as easy as breathing. The Bible itself recognises there will be times when we don't know how to pray as we ought. And if you're like me, from time to time, you'll be jolted into realising just how shallow your prayer life has become. There may well be times too when we feel dry spiritually, 
and not at all in the right frame of mind for praying. Of course, these are the times when we need prayer all the more. If we persevere with the discipline of prayer, even when it feels more like a duty than genuine devotion, and speak to God about how we feel and ask for his special help, we'll soon find the exercise once more becomes a delight. The Lord's first followers said, Lord, teach us to pray. In response, the Lord gave them an example of praying with six major points. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Surely we'd expect at any one time to major on perhaps only two or three of these points as the Holy Spirit leads us. So our Father in heaven, it begins, which at once reminds us that we're on the earth and God's in heaven. What an awesome privilege that we can have at any time an audience with the King of heaven. But this is an approach to God that's based on relationship. This form of address captures the intimacy of a child's relationship with its parent and the bold asking which that can lead to, but without any undue familiarity. This is the intimate reverence of the adoring child of God coming in a spirit of awe and worship. Of the six points in this model prayer, the first three are most definitely God-centred, dealing with God's name, God's kingdom and God's will. We could hardly be reminded more forcibly that true prayer is a concern for the glory of God. It isn't first and foremost about me getting my needs met, but about me giving God his rightful place. And when I give God his rightful place, then I'm put in my true place as I humble myself and through prayer express my total dependence on God in all his sovereignty over my life. This prayer acknowledges that God's on the throne and he's holy. The first point made in the prayer is hallowed be your name. The Bible reminds us elsewhere that holy and reverend is God's name and we want it to be displayed that way by the way in which we live. Then the words, your will be done, seem to cause confusion today. Some people appear to use them at the conclusion of a specific request, almost as though they were a kind of face-saver, just in case the desired result doesn't materialise. Others wonder why we need to bother to pray at all if God's going to do what he wants anyway. His will is sovereign after all, isn't it? What I believe these words really teach us is this, that the bottom line in all of our praying has got to be, do what you want in my life, Lord. The essence of prayer is not me bending his will to mine, but it's about me bowing my will to his. Real prayer takes place when we plead in the power of the Spirit for what God desires. That requires that we be in tune with God, of course. We understand prayer best, I believe, when we understand it to be a response to his initiative. He hears and acts when our prayer is according to his will and his spirit moves his children into the current of God's will as they spend time in prayer. Another thing the Lord says we should pray is, give us day by day our daily bread. The word translated daily puzzled scholars for centuries. This was the only place this word occurred inside or outside the Bible. Then a few years ago, an archaeologist dug up a papyrus fragment that contained a housewife's shopping list. 
Next to several items, the woman has scribbled this word for daily. It probably meant enough for the coming day. So if you pray this prayer in the morning, it's a prayer for your needs in the hours immediately ahead. Today, things are a little different in practice. In societies where fridges and freezers are commonplace, we tend to do a weekly shop. But let's not forget to give thanks before each meal, recognising that God, our Heavenly Father, is the ultimate provider. The relevance of this prayer request concerning daily bread can still be seen in guarding us from a spirit of independence and any selfish tendency to hoard excessively. The word bread used here can refer to food in general, and we can extend the thought easily to cover all our physical and material needs. What it clearly indicates is that we are to pray for the necessities of life and not for its luxuries. We are to ask for bread, not cake just the essentials to see us through the immediate future. God cares that the necessities of our material needs are met. Next, the Lord said we should pray, Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Every day as we come to God in prayer, perhaps at the end of the day with a day in review, we need to come in the same spirit of repentance that the prodigal had and say, Father, I've sinned. Forgive me my sins. When John Wesley served as a missionary to the American colonies, he had a difficult time with General James Oglethorpe. The general was known for his pride and harshness. One day Oglethorpe declared, I never forgive. To which Wesley's reply was, Then I hope you never sin. The Lord certainly links our experience of forgiveness with the condition that we forgive those who sin against us. Listen to his words from Mark's Gospel, chapter 11. Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. A forgiving spirit is vital if our prayer life is to be effective. If we refuse to forgive someone, it means we don't appreciate God's forgiveness of us. And so the Lord taught us to say, Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. We're never closer to God's grace than when we admit our sin and cry out for pardon. We're never more like God than when we extend forgiveness to those who've sinned against us. If this pattern for prayer is going to be real to us, then the six great issues it contains are going to have to be things which really do matter to us in the way that which we live. So I have to ask myself, how important to me in everyday life is the glory of God's name? Am I really concerned that he should rule supreme in my life? Is doing his will my heart's main desire? Do I realise my total dependence on him for everything in life? Do I mourn over my sin? And do I respond well to trial? On that last point, while it's true that we need God's help to keep us from temptation, it does beg the question, why would the Lord teach his followers to pray, lead us not into temptation, when God surely would never do that anyway. Well, the word can also convey the idea of testing. When the Lord taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation, he wasn't saying that we should ask God not to entice us with evil, for God would never do a thing like that. It seems the Lord was talking about an exemption from a kind of testing. Sometimes testing is necessary for our own long-term good, But how much better to live so totally for the Lord that only limited testing is called for. The request not to lead us into temptation goes on, however, to add, but deliver us from the evil one. 
protection or immunity from harm isn't guaranteed to the Christian, but that's not to say we can't pray for it. Indeed, we must, for we find it here as part of the Lord's blueprint guiding us as to what it means in practice to pray in the will of God. I hope you enjoyed today's talk and found it helpful. But now, if you'd like to receive one of the books for this current series of talks, please let us know and make sure to let us have your postal address. Ask for the title Helping New Christians Grow, and you can order by email or by post. So here are our contact details so you can make a note. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wooden Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. Now, many thanks for your interest once again, and you may be interested to know as well that Search for Truth features on www.twr360.org, and this will give you another excellent way of accessing again what you first heard here on air. So, many thanks, as I said, and I hope you can join us next week for another talk in this series. Until then, very best wishes from Brian, from David, from our singers, and to me, John. Goodbye, and may God richly bless you. Oh,